Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Thursday, November the 8th, in the year of our Lord, 2018. And because it's a rumination Thursday, we have with us our good friend, the Reverend Wes Reimnitz. How you doing, Wes? Pretty good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing real fine. I really appreciate you finding these other statements written by Martin Luther. Uh, what was the total number that you ended up finding? Over 400? 460-some. The, the ones that we're going to look at today are 70, 71 statements. And that means we have to look at three statements every minute. <laughs> yeah, we're not... We're not going to necessarily get through them all. No, no, we're certainly not. This one we're going to be taking a look at are the theses concerning faith. And let us help the people understand what this is about. Uh, Luther, of course, a professor at the school he was at, he would set up a number of statements that students then had to react to. And it really depended on whether or not they would get their doctorates. In fact, uh, this particular set was used, and two students received their doctorates by answering the questions properly. Theses concerning faith. And do you, do you know uh, what else they, they did for them that day when they passed? What? They had a feast. They asked the elector to get them a, a deer and the best wine in the castle. Oh, wow. And the best wine from the castle, too. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I don't remember that happening at the seminary. I don't either. I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the worst wine at the seminary. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we better let those things go. All righty. Okay. Uh, the first statement is true faith, that gift of the Holy Spirit must here be understood. And then he says, if Paul is understood to be speaking of acquired or historic faith, he is laboring entirely in vain. Dang. What does this mean? I think, are they not looking at uh, not saving faith? Eventually, what they're going to be talking about is saving faith. These are uh, acquired. I think he's talking about the philosophers that we looked at last week in which they talk uh, how natural man can somehow work his way a little bit to to salvation. Don't you think? Yeah. Did I miss something there? Well, let me go on then. They likewise teach that faith infused by the Holy Spirit does not justify unless it has been formed by, formed love. by love. That's oh, where okay. they get the idea that true faith isn't sufficient. It must be faith plus works. Isn't that a little bit like uh, some of this today where they talk about evidential apologetics? Of evidential. Yes, this is the idea that you can take history of the Bible and prove it. Uh, for example, I mean, this is, yeah, as, as you ask that, 
uh, there's no doubt about that, that um, every one of these, as I'm now looking at them, makes a distinction between that kind of faith where you simply believe in the history, say, of the crucifixion or the resurrection. But every time that he talks about that, he says no proper faith is that which apprehends Christ, that means believes in Christ, and then listen, this is 12, who died for our sins and arose again for our justification. Mm. In other words, he's making the point that just simply believing the history of Scripture is not sufficient. Would that be similar then to Thesis uh, 17? Oh, yeah. Acquired faith or the infused faith of the sophists, those are those philosophers, says of Christ, I believe that the Son of God suffered and rose again, and here it stops. In other words, there's no gospel attached to that. And I believe that the Roman Catholics thought that that's what the Lutherans were saying when we said you're saved through faith alone, not faith plus works. They thought we were saying that, at least originally, that if you believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection, then that saves you, which is ridiculous because even the unbelieving Pharisees uh, believed in the crucifixion, they were there, and the resurrection, they had the soldiers lie about it, and the demons knew that, and nobody gets saved by that. Thereby, when you're talking about gospel, does that kind of fit in with 18 and 19? All right, would you read those? Well, 18 says, true faith says, I am. I certainly believe that the Son of God suffered and rose, but he did this all for me, for my sins, of that I am certain. Then 19, for he died for the sins of the whole world, but it is most certain that I am a part of the world. Therefore, it is most certain that he died for my sins. Notice how Luther moves from historic faith to gospel faith. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that because, yes, I believe that he suffered and arose, but, and here comes the gospel, he did this all for me, for my sins, of that I am certain. So somebody who attempts to prove the history of the Bible, uh, whether it's six-day, 24-hour creation, that Jesus died on the cross, or that he even rose from the dead, this is not proper Christianity. I, I'm not saying, for example, that you can't show... Uh, from today's science, that it was a six-day, 24-hour creation. That's a, a form of apologetics. But just because somebody would believe, for example, in a shortened time that Earth has been around, doesn't mean that they believe in Jesus Christ. All of the Pharisees who were unbelievers, according to Jesus, believed in the historicity of the Bible. They didn't mm. deny any of the history and they wouldn't even have denied that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. But Jesus says their father is the devil. devil. So you know, as he's examining these doctoral students, 
he wants to make sure that they know the difference between acquired faith or or a historic faith versus what a saving faith is. Excellent. Look at 24, because we often say this. Accordingly, that, and then quotes, for me or for us, if it is believes, creates that true faith and distinguishes it from all other faith, which merely hears the things done. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I hear a lot of sermons on different radio stations when I'm driving around, and a lot of times it's just talking about the events that took place. I mean, you can have a whole sermon uh, arguing that the Red Sea really had walls of water, which the people went through, the Egyptians attempted to go through it, and, of course, they ended up being drowned and never talk about Jesus Christ. You can have an accurate understanding of the events of the Red Sea, and none of that would be a sermon. And that would also lead to uh, 25 and 26, where it talks about working, you know, through the law, working out our salvation versus uh, mm-hmm. salvation through through Christ. Yes, and we've talked about that with the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, This is the faith which alone justifies us. Nuns attempt to get justified by giving themselves a good reputation, and therefore they're trying to be justified in the eyes of others by their works. But as you said, 25, faith, the kind that saves, alone justifies us without law and works through what? The mercy of God, mercy of God shown in Christ. Uh, read 26, please. For these two propositions battle each other. Christ was delivered to, to make satisfaction for our sins, and we ourselves are justified from our sins through the law. Yeah, that's really important. The first time you read it, it sounds like he's saying that we are justified from our sins through obedience to the law. No. The way you read that is, we ourselves are justified from trying to get rid of our sins through the law. Right. That really, you know, we've talked about that previously in do and, do and done. That man. Explain that. Well, do. We got to do something to, to merit uh, being justified for our sins, that we got to work our way to heaven. We're done, is it's already done through Christ death and resurrection, suffering, death and resurrection. Yes. 27 is really the point. For either he was not delivered for our sins, or we are not justified from our sins through the law. Mm. Now, what makes that important? There are religions that are false that do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they don't believe him to be God They don't believe that our sins were forgiven. And you see, there's absolutely no evidence that you can bring to a court to indicate that when Christ died on the cross, our sins were forgiven. That's the gospel, and that cannot be believed by reason or by some kind of evidence. The only way that is believed is who gives us that faith. 
the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, that's thesis 28 runs right into it. The scriptures, however, proclaim that the transgression of us all has been laid on him, and he was smitten for the sins of God's people. And by this, his bruise, we are healed. Yes, if you were standing at the cross, there would have been no evidence at all that that was happening, Mm -hmm. that he was smitten for us and that we are healed. The only evidence that we can find, and I keep coming back to that tremendous Bible study by Luther on the road to Emmaus. He never gave any evidence for what he was preaching. He quoted the Bible. And and I think that's amazing in, in that he, the evidence is he could have revealed himself right there physically as a person. Yes. That would have been evidentiary apologetics. Yes, yes. In fact, he could do that um, today if he would show up at a church when we baptize an infant and all of a sudden Jesus is standing there doing the baptism. You see, there's no evidence at all that when you and I as pastors do the baptism that that child is brought out of the kingdom of hell into the kingdom of heaven. It kind of reminds you of the, the story in the scriptures of, of of Lazarus and the rich man. They bought die, and rich man looks into heaven and sees Lazarus, and and in his torment, he says, "Send him back to to talk to my brothers, so that they won't have they won't uh, suffer the same fate." Yes, exactly. Now, yeah, what... Well, but what does he say? They have what? They have Moses and the prophets. They have the word. Yeah. If they don't hear him or even somebody rising from the dead, they, they won't hear him either. Him either, yes. And they didn't. I mean, Christ rose from the dead, and even those who knew he did, did not move them to proper faith. And in fact, uh, with the raising of Lazarus, uh, many people were coming to believe in, in Christ, and the Sanhedrin, the, the had to say, this guy's got to go. Yes. He also does a wonderful task in showing the place of good works, like uh, verse 30. Hmm. If you have proper faith, if good works do not follow, it is certain that this faith in Christ does not dwell in our heart, but that dead faith does, which is plainly an acquired faith. It's an acquired faith because you can convince yourself of the history of the Bible, but that he refers to as a dead faith because they haven't believed the report of the gospel. Mm. So first, first comes the, the trusting that those that Jesus suffered and died for me. Yes, and then mm. comes our good works. Yeah. I can't remember where I heard this. It might have been on issues, etc. But uh, somebody was saying uh, the question, well, if I'm forgiven all sins, why can't I do whatever I want? And the answer back to him was really good. The answer was, okay, if you believe in Jesus Christ, what are the things you want to do? Hmm. <laughs> 
Isn't that good? Boy, that's good. And yeah. didn't you say on a previous program that that the Ten Commandments are what uh, are really a guide for us as Christians to live by? Yes, there's three uses of the law. The first use that God makes of the commandments is with the government to withhold wickedness. And so he has mm. punishment, etc. The second use, which is the proper use in the church to help people come to an understanding of their need for Jesus, is the use of accusing them of sin. But then there is a third use, and that is once you become a Christian... What are the deeds that God wants us to do? And the way I read the Ten Commandments is found in Exodus 20, and I got this from a professor who was at Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. He made the point that the verbs are in such a way that the way to read this is, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, when you have that faith, you will have no other gods before me. You won't take my name in vain. You're, you'll do the worship and the other uh, commandments. And that was a tremendous insight that this is information for the Christian as to how he behaves as a result of his justification. And, of course, we're talking now about his sanctification. Sanctification. Would that be, be akin to doing the works then voluntarily? It just kind of flows naturally? Yeah, voluntarily means that you don't have an ulterior motive. In every other religion in the world, you do good works with the ulterior motive of trying to please God. And maybe then he'll like you, then he'll love you, and maybe finally save you. So... The Christian spontaneously does not good works. They're called fruit of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. And I have to say this. If you look at Matthew 25, sheep and the goats, the sheep are unaware of all these good works or fruit of the Holy Spirit they did. Because whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. We're not often aware of our motivation but Jesus is because he can do something that we can't do. He can read our hearts. So that really brings a sense of comfort to, to a Christian that, you know, they know that things that they're doing, they should be doing anyway. And it's still seen by God as a good work because it's covered by, by the blood of Christ. Yes, he, he makes a point in 41 that, oh, we could spend a whole hour on, because a lot of sermons I hear on the road do not have this. The scriptures must be understood in favor of Christ, not against him. For that reason, they must either refer to him or must not be held to be true scriptures. Isn't that great? Yeah, well... And haven't we said before that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a story about Jesus? Yes. I often, in fact, I would meet with my Sunday school teachers and those who weren't able to be at the meeting, we would tape record to give it to them. We would do three or four lessons at a time. And the point was, where is Jesus in the story, in the history? If you can't find Jesus 
then it's not worth teaching to the children. Children. Well, uh, you could jump ahead a little bit of me. I am still back in the 30s on these theses. You know, thesis 35. What's that say? Just as good works do not make a tree good, so good works do not justify the person. Yes. it's The way I like explaining that is adoption. When you ask the child why you were adopted, let's say a 12-year-old who was adopted when they were an infant, they will never say, because I was such a good child. <laughs> they recognize <laughs> the adoption came first, then... They could become a good child in wearing the clothes that they were given, eating the food they were given, sleeping in the bed that they were provided, etc. Nobody reverses that. And yet they do when it comes to the church. They think that first you sanctify yourself, then you are justified. But Abraham shows when he believed that ridiculous promise from God that Sarah, past childbearing age, would bear a child named Isaac. It took 25 years. Abraham believed and... It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Exactly. That's how Christianity works. We're saved through faith, not through our works. Yeah. The reason I bring that up is... In 1535, they published his uh, lectures on Galatians. Oh, wow, yes. And, and, and as you know, it's very much important. I would read this quote. For apples do not make a tree, but a tree makes apples. So faith first makes a person, so afterwards performs the works. Yes, there's hundreds of analogies where we begin to understand. Now, that's how we do proper apologetics. We do proper apologetics by quoting the scripture and using analogies that people are already aware of. And when you say, okay, if you're going to be bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's like bearing apples. Is that what makes you a Christian any more than that's what makes an apple tree that apples appear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they can see the ridiculousness of that notion. But the devil can get people to really believe that faith is simply believing the Bible. In fact, there, there are people who say, do we trust the Bible? I don't trust the Bible. I trust Jesus. Because yeah. a lot in, in the Bible is law, and I don't trust the law to save me. But when we talk about the gospel... That's not so much the Bible as the Bible is simply the vehicle with which God has shared the gospel. So this idea of trusting the Bible leads to an idea that now we have to prove to unbelievers that the history of the Bible is true, whether we're mm -hmm. talking about the Old Testament or whether we're talking about the New Testament death and resurrection of Jesus. I believe that's really a waste of time. Right, and uh, somewhere in one of those theses it talks about that uh, faith is really created by hearing the Word. Well, that's a quote from Romans 10. 10, yeah. And the Word is not some kind of evidential understanding. See, we can prove that Jesus rose from the dead. I've often said, if you could prove it, which you can't, 
But let's say you could and everyone believed it, then everybody would go to hell. Well, it kind of reminds you of Pentecost when they preached uh, to the crowd and it, and what uh, the, the disciples had said, the apostles at that time, that it cut to their heart that they put Christ to death and they said, what must we do to be saved? Yes, because the message of Peter was clearly, yes, he died, but he died for you. And that's what made them cut to the heart. Not that he died and he rose from the dead, because they already had individuals who believed that and didn't believe anything. You know, we, we got through this pretty good. I think next week, why don't we continue with the law? Oh, yes. <laughs> Another 80-some pieces to go through. Yeah, I think we hit the high points uh, of faith. Sure. And that's really, really uh, critical for us. So you know, we don't have any more time. Oh, my goodness. It was great. It was fun. Well, thanks for finding that. And uh, next Thursday, we will be back. God bless you. Thank that you, was you uh, Wes Reinitz, uh, pastor, and doing preaching here and there. I'm Tom Baker. And we'll be back next week with another set of statements by Martin Luther, this time on the law. I'm looking forward to that. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.